Hello there. It's finally time for another episode of The Break. I'm Fon Roderick, recovering after uh, a pretty unexpected um, <laughs> knockout by the COVID booster that I got. That's why this show is coming to you a lot later than normal. But I'm here for you anyway. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons, my monthly supporters, this wonderful community, and I am happy to announce that we have a new member of the Patreon community, Patty Chan. She has joined the Patreon community and is now supporting me. And uh, I keep reminding you why this is important. First of all, it's an important mission. I'm trying to reach out to maybe like 90% of the people that will never enter a church, that will never have the opportunity to speak with a priest or to encounter a priest in their lives or to think about faith. I'm trying to meet them where they are on TikTok, on YouTube, in the podcast realm. And it works. It works so incredibly well. Every day when I'm on my iPad, I get little notifications when people watch a video on TikTok or on YouTube and they leave a comment. And especially on TikTok, I mean, you wouldn't believe the number of reactions that are actually very positive, not just about the contents of the videos that I make but about the fact that a priest is engaging with that world and is trying to connect with people. And for a lot of uh, the younger people that I meet, um, it's 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 a, a similar experience where they say, well, if only we had had a priest like that who could speak our language when we were young, when we were still going to church, we maybe would have never stopped going to church. This is why it is so vital that I can continue this mission. But as you know, I can only do that thanks to the patrons. It's my only source of income. The Pope doesn't write me a, sh a check. The bishop doesn't write me a check. So I have to somehow um, make sure that I continue this mission. Right now, we're still not breaking even. Um, and in order to do that, we need to double, triple, maybe quadruple the amount of patrons that we currently have uh, because it's only a tiny percentage of the people that listen to this right now that are actually part of that Patreon community. So if it's possible for you, if you believe in this mission, if you want to help me to reach out to all these people that otherwise would never be able to talk to a priest or to hear from a priest, then um, I'd say check it out, patreon.com slash fatherodrick. And um, thanks in advance for at least considering it. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So if you listen to my other weekly podcast, The Walk, you may have heard me feeling all energized and super enthusiastic. I recorded that on Wednesday morning. I had just ran for about an hour and a half, I think, maybe even two hours. I It was this beautiful morning. The sun was shining, and I, I was like, I want to run. And so that's what I did. I went out in the countryside. I, I ran at a very good pace. I came home, took a shower, and then I was like, this is going to be an awesome day. Let's record the walk. So that was my my physical, mental state when I recorded that that show. That day was actually quite intense because not only had I scheduled a run, but I also had to go to the hospital to get a, you know, 
the for blood works. Um, since I I have these days where I I just am so incredibly tired, and uh, the, my physician and me we want to figure out what is causing that. If if this is just a uh, like a remnant of of long COVID, or maybe it's vitamin D deficiency, which is quite common around this time of the year with uh, with people like me, um, or if there's something else going on, and so. I had to go to the to the hospital to get you know my blood tapped off. <laughs> it's like the bloodletting, um, and I came back and I still felt really great. And then in the in the evening, I had an appointment to get my booster shot, which I was also looking forward to. It was finally uh, time for my age category to to get the booster. And since um, I still know a lot of people in my own circle of friends and family that are getting infected um, and are also sometimes paying the price for, for getting COVID again. Um, I was eager to get that extra bit of protection. And so I, I went to the, the location for, for the booster shot, um, and uh, which was, again, really really simple it, it you barely feel it. it's a little prick um and uh and then you have to wait for about 15 minutes so they observe you you have to take off your mask and they if you, if you turn gray or green or another unnatural color then then they you're in safe hands after 15 minutes you can go home so that, that's what i did i went home and then i watched andor i mean wednesday star wars day and not just andor but there was also tales of the jedi which i was so looking forward to because i had already seen the first episode the one about you know, baby Ahsoka at the Star Wars celebration in in Anaheim. And I was so blown away by what uh, Dave Filoni and the animation team had done that I just, it was such a long way to finally see the rest of their efforts. And so I had a fantastic evening full of Star Wars. I was like, this was an awesome day. And then eight hours later, I wake up on Thursday morning and I am completely dead. I have a high fever. I I'm I I barely know what, where I am, what day it is. I've got a throbbing headache. It's like I I just didn't know what what happened to me. Of course I I realized oh that must be uh, the side effects of the covid booster because the previous two covid vaccinations that I've had produced a similar result. I always have this very strong reaction. The last time was, I think, in October, like a year ago. No, it was a little bit later. It was in December. And and when I, I was not in... Well, was I here? I don't think so. Oh, wait, I know. The first vaccination I got, I was still staying at the rectory um, of Father Henry. This house was still being renovated. And I was sick for about five days. I was literally too sick to get out of bed. And uh, and I, I remember that I was in bed for, for four or five days. They had to bring me food. I couldn't do anything. That's really not a nice experience to have that, you know, fever, headache, and especially being in your pajamas for five days. <laughs> no. <laughs> And so the, the next time in, in, in December, I actually had friends over. So Michiel and Liz, 
uh, came over from the UK. They're both uh, dear friends and, and patrons. Uh, and they were visiting uh, Mihil's parents. So they came over to uh, pay me a visit. And I just had had the, the COVID booster the evening before. And I was like, well, there's of course no way in the world that it's going to be as bad as that last time where I was sick for days. Come on, this is just a booster. It's like a, a minor upgrade. This is just like vaccine DLC, you know. what? What's the worst that can happen? And so I already started to feel a little bit out of whack uh, when they when they came over. But then after lunch, it really got bad. And I just told them, hey, I think I need to lay down because I cannot really do anything right now. <laughs> I just otherwise have to lay on the ground here. Uh, but it felt so, so, so weird to, to have guests and then to actually have to lay down in bed. And I, I managed to... Uh, I kind of put myself together after a couple of hours and and then um <laughs> but man I will never forget that. And then um so but that only lasted about 2 days so you know I was like okay this is the third vaccination now for sure my body must know the drill you know and and knowing how how good I felt the day before, I was full of energy. It's like, man, I'm. if there is one perfect moment to get the booster shot, it's now. I feel fantastic. And yet, like, immediately on Thursday, totally knocked out. So I went down to get a cup of coffee, thinking, well, maybe, maybe I'm just dehydrated. Maybe if I get a cup of coffee and eat something, I'll feel better. And I'm sitting there, and I've got this piping hot cup of coffee uh, sitting there. I had just put two sandwiches on a plate. And and that's where I feel like I need to get to my bed within like literally 20 seconds now. Otherwise, I will have to lay on the floor right here in the kitchen. I was so nauseous. I was so dizzy. Uh, it was almost as if like, all my blood was drained from my head. I couldn't do anything. And so I just left the coffee there, left the, bread, left the lights on, and crawled up the, the, the stairs, lay down, and, I, and then I woke up like six hours later. And this was after a full night of sleep. I had slept eight hours plus six. So that was, I'd been sleeping for 14 hours. And that's when I finally got out of bed and... I was so hungry, so I went to the kitchen, um, reheated the coffee in the microwave, ate those dehydrated pieces of sandwich, and and then I got. I went back to bed. I went straight back to bed. I was still not not feeling um, good enough to to stay awake, and so that entire day I've been in bed, which of course made me very wary. I might even going to be able to sleep this next night. So got back downstairs, made myself some pasta. I think I watched an episode of Star Trek because um, I just had a new streaming service activated. Anyway, I was like, there's probably no way in the world that I will be able to sleep because I've, I've literally slept for almost 24 hours now. I went back upstairs, turned off the lights, and I was gone absolutely gone and the next morning i woke up again like eight hours later and 
Um, I I got out of bed. I was like, Ugh, still not okay, but oh well. At least I can more or less function. I still had a headache, so I started to you know let's still I'm not going to work. I'm not going to record any podcast. I was supposed to record this particular podcast that morning. At least that was what was scheduled. So I was like, you know what? Let's take it easy. Let's take it easy. Let let I will grant myself some time to recover. That's what I would recommend anyone else. Take it easy. And and so I just, I read a book. I was just reading um, that novel, the uh, Scythe, uh, still um, trying to read from, from my iPad. And after a couple of hours, I got hungry, got lunch, and then I, and then it started again. I was like, I need to go upstairs. I need to lay down. And then I slept again. I slept for four or five hours. Woke up got some food, watched some more Star Trek, and then went back to bed and slept another night, like a full night, eight hours. And that brings me to, what is it? Friday? No, wait, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Saturday morning. It's usually when I go out for a run. I've got my running group. I love that. And um, I'm, so I'm sitting there. Yeah, nope, 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 nope. I, I sh- I'm, so I, I wrote an email to the the group uh, the group app like I'm sorry I'm still recovering from the COVID booster I I don't think I can run and I'm so glad I didn't because uh, yeah that was still not working really well and then you know today Sunday it's the first day that I'm kind of normal again but I still feel the kind of the aftershock of having slept so much. So even today, I was like, let's take it easy. I just um, uh, celebrated Mass uh, by myself. Uh, I, thankfully, uh, there, I hadn't been scheduled in the par- for one of the parish uh, locations because then I have to take my bike and go there, and I'm still feeling very kind of weak. Um, so just celebrated Mass here by myself. Prayed for all of you, of course. And... Um, and then I was like, yeah, it's Sunday evening. I had better record the break. And since I'm at it, let's just go live and just let people know that I'm still here. And you know what the funny thing is? Nobody misses me. Nobody knew what was going on. <laughs> you always think, especially if you're a man, uh, we, we, we tend to be you know, very dramatic about these, these moments of weakness. You feel like, oh my gosh, everybody's going to be so worried because I am worried. <laughs> I feel terrible, so everybody must must have compassion with that. And there's like, oh, dude, we didn't even notice there wasn't a new episode of the break. Oh uh, well, that's. I think that's 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 probably what should happen. <laughs> we should just know that all this is going to pass as well, and it's not a big deal. At least I know because of this big reaction that the vaccination is working is doing its thing i mean if if nothing would have happened i would have wondered well am i actually really protected now but i think i am <laughs> not like movies they're predictable like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and darth vader is luke's father not liking movies is like not liking puppies they're fine i just get bored and never make it to the end you know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. 
I already teased it in my intro, but I now finally have legal access to Star Trek Strange New Worlds. In fact, we have just been introduced to yet another streaming service. It's insane. I... I was just listing all the subscriptions because I'm I'm keeping track of my budget, um, and I had to go th- jump through some hoops to free up some budget for this new uh, streaming platform. But this was another kind of almost for me at least uh, unmissable uh, subscription because um, it's called Sky Showtime, and it's a it's an amalgamation, a combination of a number of platforms. Um, that are offering some of their content, not all of it. The, 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 the actual catalog is maybe the smallest since Apple TV, but so was the price. So Sky Showtime, that, that's how it's introduced here in Europe, is um, Universal Pictures, DreamWorks, Sky Studios. I think that's just special things that they do. Uh, Sky, I think, is a, a British company, if I'm not mistaken. Peacock, which is, is it MDC or MSNBC? Um, it's it's not doing very well in the U.S., so I I'm not sure how long this is going to be part of the deal. Paramount Plus that was very important to me. Uh, it's got Showtime, Paramount Pictures, and Nickelodeon. Um, and for us in Europe, this was something that we'd been uh, looking forward to for a long time because last year around this time, like literally a day before it would premiere. Uh, on Netflix, the, the, um, Paramount pulled um, Star Trek Discovery all of a sudden, the new season. They had been even promoting it in the Netherlands and in Europe. Like, oh, it's coming soon. We'd seen the teasers. We, we were all like looking forward to seeing what would be happening next. And then all of a sudden there was this press release. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, no. Yeah, no more Star Trek Discovery on Netflix. And we we're like, What? And then there wasn't an alternative. They'd been teasing that, that, you know, at one point Paramount Plus would be the place for Star Trek fans to go and that they would probably get Star Trek from all off all the other platforms. So we would go, all, all go to Paramount Plus. So when we heard about the cancellation on Netflix, we were all like, okay, so where's Paramount Plus? Yeah, no, next year. And so here we are, a year later. There was no legal way for anyone to watch the new Star Trek Discovery. I mean, are you? Are they surprised that some rabid Star Trek fans were were going over to the dark side of the internet to find find out, find out what was happening to the crew of Discovery? Um, and and then people that were less. Uh, um, engaged or less of a, a Star Trek fan, they just let it go. Okay, well, then I won't watch Star Trek. So that is also hurting their brand. It was so such a weird decision. Of course, it's always about money. So, But anyway, the, what now that they finally brought this new, new platform, which kind of came out of nowhere, all of a sudden it was there, um, I was like, okay, cool. Paramount Plus, yes, I need to have this. And they had a pretty good uh, opening deal, very similar to what HBO Max did uh, over here, is that if you signed up in the first month after the launch of the platform, you would get 50% off the subscription price for the re- for the remainder of your subscription. As long as you don't cancel 
um, I, I get the, the thing for 50% off, which is an amazing deal. And of course, I know that they're going to raise the prices. Every platform right now is raising prices. Even Apple just recently announced that they're going to up the price with two euros. I'm like, man, it's like first Disney and now, now Apple. Although I have to say that Disney Plus is, of course, a much better deal than Apple. I do love some of the stuff that Apple has, but it's honestly, it's the, it's the streaming platform that I, that I go to the least. They have Ted Lasso. Still want to watch the new season of that. They've got um, the uh, Ron Howard series about the alternate timeline, about the moon landings. Uh, no, no man, uh, not No Man's Sky. What is it called? Anyway, um, so that's that's okay. That a few interesting series, but there's not much like need to watch every week stuff on apple plus so now that they've announced that they're upping the price with two two euros every month i'm like you know what this is probably the first one to go and and then netflix of course is also that's the most expensive one and also not i'm not going i'm not watching a lot of netflix lately also because i've got hbo max and and there's so much cool star wars stuff and but um but Netflix has a ton of anime, which for my work, for my TikTok, for my YouTube channel, super important that I keep up, that at least I have access to the anime. I do have Crunchyroll now, uh, yet another platform. <laughs> but Crunchyroll doesn't have everything. So for me, in order to be able to switch back and forth between all these anime series and check out what people are recommending to me and know what they're talking about, um, Netflix for me right now is still uh, non-negotiable. Uh, so, but I got this one for what is it, three ninety-five per month, which is very, very, very good price. Similar to uh, HBO Max, I pay the same, um, and both offer quite a good good value. However, I was so surprised. Like I was like, finally, I can watch what's going on with Discovery. I can watch the new season. There is no Star Trek Discovery anywhere. So they, they have Strange New Worlds, which I'd already seen a few episodes uh, of when I was in the U.S. Um, and um, uh, Star Trek Prodigy, which is actually on Nickelodeon. And it's a children's series, an animated series. But I'd also watched a couple of episodes uh, in the U.S. And I loved it. It was really, really cool. Plus... Um, on I have this like TV subscription, um, so a- every once in a while I would catch an episode of Prodigy, and I really thought it was great, well done. So that's there too. However, not the most recent episodes. So what's going on there? I guess it's a contractual thing, where maybe maybe the fact that they just pulled that off Netflix all of a sudden uh, just got them into legal problems and maybe that's why we can't see discovery but man i really hope that they're gonna add it soon um and then they have a few star trek movies but just a few just like four and that's it they've got the office which i can now probably watch on like three different channels but you know i don't really need uh this 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 uh platform for um for for the office because i've already seen the entire series anyway Long story short, at least I have Strange New Worlds and I was able to watch the entire season. So let me discuss that for a moment. 
Isn't this the best Star Trek that we've had since The Next Generation? It is amazing. I hope that you've seen it. Um, if you haven't and you have access to it, make sure you do, because this, to me, feels the most Star Trek of anything they've done since The Next Generation. I liked Voyager, but I liked it. I didn't. I wasn't a huge fan. I loved the the second season of Enterprise, and then it went downhill very quickly. So yeah, it didn't do it. I I kind of really like Deep Space Nine, although I keep thinking it's exactly like Babylon Five. It's just with Star Trek people. It's such a copy story wise. Um, so Babylon Five is great. No, Babylon 5 is is awesome, but, um, I mean, Deep Space Nine is great, but it is so old. It looks so, like, really, really bad quality. Um, it's, it's one of those last series that they did on, on, on video, so it's, it's very hard to, to up-res it. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they can't compare with the, the newer stuff. I, I like Discovery, um, Especially visually, it was amazing, but I just couldn't warm up to the crew. And the story also went all over the place. Doesn't seem to really have an idea of what it wants to be. It's also very, very hammering on all those, like, modern-day topics of... Of, of gender and all that sort of stuff. And it, it's, it goes so overboard. Picard, um, I liked it, but again, I didn't love it. It felt like these people should just retire. It's, it's, this would have been great for one season, do an homage, but now it starts to really... God, it's... Yeah, please, don't do this to yourself, guys. I mean, I loved seeing Picard again, but but all these people are too old now. (laughs) Anyway, let's wait for that final season. But again, it wasn't really like, oh my gosh, this is Star Trek. It was now this. This is an homage to what I loved about Star Trek. But Strange New Worlds. Oh my goodness, it's it's so classic Star Trek. First of all, the crew is a family. This is the best crew chemistry that I've ever seen in Star Trek. I think it's even better than in Deep in in um, uh, the Next Generation. Uh, and I think one of the biggest assets that they have is Captain Pike. It's it's the the captain is so likable, so warm. He evokes a bit of that kind of Captain Kirk vibe, but without all the kind of cheesy sleazy stuff that we tend to associate with uh, William Shatner's uh, character. Um, it's It's got, like, he's a really f- a father figure, and, um, and he shows very modern leadership in the sense that he's a good listener. He's also decisive when he, ne- he needs to be. He's heroic when he needs to be heroic, but he's also humble, and he's also, he, he knows... To when when he messed up and he asked for forgiveness, it's all qualities that you'd love in every leader. Basically, you'd love that in every person. Plus, he's a good cook. He cooks for his crew. I mean, this is the first time in Star Trek history that a captain is actually cooking food instead of just pushing replicator buttons. We we've seen captains host dinner parties and sort of stuff, but. You always assumed that the food came from the replicators, 
But here, Captain Pike is actually in his kitchen, and and in in one of the last episodes, maybe it was the finale episode, he's cooking this pasta, and I see the way it's filmed. You can tell that there are foodies there on set, and maybe the actor himself knows how to cook. I don't know, but it's filmed so well that I actually got hungry, and after the episode, I went to the kitchen and I replicated. <laughs> replicated the the recipe because it was a very simple recipe very italian and you don't need that many ingredients so i made that pasta and it was amazing it's, it's those details that make me love this series so much because this this again when i when i watched the next generation those people that lived on the enterprise felt like they were my family after a number of seasons, I felt like I knew them. Of course, they don't know me, but, you know, it's kind of what I love about about good television is that you, you, you kind of feel a connection, an emotional bond with the crew. And it, it's just one of these series that I would often dream about. I would dream that I lived on the Enterprise. It was kind of this this world, like, who wouldn't want to be a crew member on on Captain Picard's ship. And I have that same feeling now with Strange New Worlds. Is if there is one fictional world besides the Shire, let's make that clear, that where I would like to live, it would be on Captain Pike's ship and under his uh uh un- under under his guidance. Um and and I think I think the series is showing so much potential. We know, of course, that it's not going to end well for Pike in a certain way. Um, so he, he doesn't have many years, but I still think if, if they can continue in this style, if they stay true to what they, what they are showing now in this first season, I think this may actually become one of the most loved Star Trek series ever. But you never know it's Star Trek, so they can do weird things in the writer's room. But let's hope that if we give them a lot of, you know, positive feedback, they won't change the recipe because I like it the way it is and I don't want it to change. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And we've got some interesting days ahead of us. Maybe they're already uh, over when you're listening to this, but I'm talking about Halloween, All Saints Day and All Souls Day. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So let's talk about those days because they are intrinsically linked together, as you know. Just a refresher for those of you that um, may be new to the show or you may have forgotten about this, but um, the, the, the Halloween itself is linked to All Saints Day. It's literally Hall, All Hallows' Eve. That's the origin, the uh, etymology of the word. Um, it was the evening before All Saints Day where people would go and visit the graves. Uh, they would go to the graveyards and light candles and remember the dead. It's basically also what we do on All Souls' Day. Um, and so it's this 
this like uh, and the eve of a feast day and all saints day is an important solemnity in the catholic church i'll explain what why later um but the evening or is already part of the celebrations and so in in many countries there was this tradition to go and honor the dead because all, all saints day is all about this connection between heaven and earth so it kind of makes sense but it also connected with existing traditions, even pagan traditions that have been part of, of, of different cultures for a long, long time, where in the wintertime, people would actually have these kind of like charity uh, evenings where the poor would go from door to door and the richer people would give them food and clothing because of the winter season approaching. And then there often were these festivities around the changing of the seasons and all the symbolic stuff that we like to celebrate. And all that kind of came together in, 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 these Catholic, in this Catholic solemnity of All Saints Day and the evening before All Hallows' Eve where um, people would go to, to honor the dead. Now, of course... There's always this kind of fascination with death, and it's a mix between fear and fascination. We always wonder, you know, what would, what would happen with the people that we've left? It's very hard to believe that someone just ceased to exist all of a sudden. Someone that's been so, such a vibrant, like, source of love and care and creativity, and also, you know, the, the bad things. Let's let's be let's be clear about that. But how can a person that has marked the lives of so many other people just cease to exist. It, it almost feels like a waste of energy and, and, and time for us to just stop existing at one point. Uh, and, and so there's always been this, this even before Christianity, and uh, this, this, this awareness, and it, this is universal in the history of mankind, that... Uh, in one way or another, these people would live on. You see this also in the uh, in, in in non-Christian cultures with the veneration for ancestors. You know, um, you even see it in the earliest like Stone Age remnants. I I visited Ireland and Scotland, and uh, you see these these memorial places that they made, and this is like thousands and thousands of years. Uh, it's like the dawn of, 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 of human civilization. And they were already building these big tombs and did symbolic stuff with openings, with the, that, that, like the, the entrance was where the sun rose, etc. So many indications that from the earliest recorded uh, um, history of mankind, there's been this celebration of of the deceased and, and somehow commemorate more than commemoration. It was this, this idea that th- they must be somewhere. Well, all of that, of course, uh, in, 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 in Christian theology, you would say these are all, this is part of a universal, um, aware, like consciousness that we have that this is, these are already seeds of what will be revealed in fullness in in Jesus when he says, well, it's actually true. Um, Whoever believes in me will live even if he or she has to die. And so it's this affirmation by Jesus of the resurrection in the flesh, not just like in our memories or some kind of whatever we leave behind 
of uh, you know the traces of our what once was our existence. No, Jesus is much more uh, uh, physical in, in his way. When he speaks about the resurrection, he speaks about a bodily resurrection. And uh, he himself, of course, rising from the dead, kind of affirms that he has that power to raise us from the dead. He's actually the first one. Um, and so, of, of, of hopefully all of us who can follow if we, if we hold on to him. So, this, this, this is how uh, the Catholic Church has always found it pretty easy to combine these existing pagan rituals and, and, and intuitions that you have in all these different cultures and, and religions and, and bring them together in the, in, the, in the solemnity of All Saints Day. Now, what is All Saints Day? It's this. So you know that the Catholic Church has a lot of saints that it venerates, saints and martyrs. These are not gods or demigods. They're not like Avengers or superheroes. These were regular people like you and I, however, who lived a life um, that was committed to God. They they had a very strong relationship with God, and that influenced their actions and and choices. Some of them even gave their lives uh, to bear witness of their faith in God. And, um, and, and, and so the saints are, in a way, examples to emulate. People that show us that it, this is actually not just um, an ideal that is unreachable and it's just there like a fairy tale or something like that. No, they show us in their day-to-day life that it is possible to live a life with God on this earth that, always, that already resembles the kind of relationship that we will have with God and with one another when we are in heaven. And that is why after like long deliberation and reflection and prayer and research, the church will say of some people, well, these were saints. These people already lived a, 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 a relationship with God that is so strong that there is no need for them to, to, to wait for heaven when they die. They are with God. It's, it's basically an affirmation that, that the people that are in heaven are, by definition, saints. Even, even people that have not been declared saints. Because a saint is basically someone who lives a 100%, in a 100% relationship with God without holding anything back, uh, which is very hard to achieve, even in our human relationships, to have this fully 100% committed relationship to someone else. This this perfect faithfulness is not given to everyone, and it and and we know ourselves all too well that we often break our own relationships. But there is also this this affirmation by the Catholic Church. But, but hold on, just keep the faith. It is possible. If you want some examples, just look at this lady or this man or this girl or this this boy. They show you how it's done. And, and just that's why we have so many saints is because everyone is different, you know. And so I love that of the Catholic Church that you, you can just look around and say, well, hey, I really relate to this saint or that saint and, and someone else maybe have other, other um, examples that, that they relate to more because of their walk in life. So anyway, but the idea that, that heaven is full, full of saints, even saints that... Nobody has ever known that nobody remembers, but they're still there. That's that's cause for celebration, and that's what we celebrate on All Saints Day. So a lot of 
better known saints. They have their their own like day during the year. It's usually the day when they died or were martyred. Um, but uh, but there are so but there are only just three hundred sixty five days, right? And so, but there are hopefully millions and millions, if not billions, of saints already with God in heaven. And and All Saints Day is their day. That's when we celebrate the fact that so many people have already reached a goal and we are still on our way and we hope that maybe also thanks to their prayers we will get there as well. And and so it's a it's a joyful celebration, very important one. And 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 that's also why it's so linked to the day after, which is All Souls Day, which is not a solemnity, it is a commemoration. But for a lot of people that is a very important day because it's a day during which not only you think back of the people that you that you that you've lost and that you miss but it's also a day where you can feel connected with them because they're not gone and maybe they are already in heaven maybe they have been purified and 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 are living in this perpetual relationship of love with god and with everyone else who's in heaven or maybe they're still on their way to that there's this concept that in catholic theology we call purgatory where you're not doomed you know but you're also not entirely ready to embrace god for 100% because there's still this this attachment to to sin or the wounds that sin has caused in your life. And so there's this time of purification. There are some biblical grounds for that as well, uh, but that would uh, that would be a little bit too long to discuss this all in the span of uh, these, these few minutes. But suffice it to say that these three days, you could say, I'm just kind of adopting Halloween because I don't think as a Catholic that Halloween is something evil. Um, there's some Christians that are always panicking. Oh, Halloween is a devil. It's witchcraft. It's everything but God. And so uh, we need to reject that. I'm thinking, no, if you look at the genesis of this, it's very clear that people went to the graves and then they tell each other spooky stories. It's also a way for us, if we dress up like ghosts and ghouls and whatnot, for us, it's just, it's our creative way of dealing with our fears. We always do that when we are afraid of something. That's why we have horror movies. That's why we we, we, we like to scare each other when we were kids, you know? Um, it's it. We make jokes about God and about the pearly gates. Why do we do that? It's not because we have no respect for dead, death or for God, but it's just making us feel very uncomfortable because it's kind of also a little bit like the unknown. And so because we sometimes get like goosebumps we we just we dress up as what we fear it's a, it's a way for us to process it that's what i think is happening um on a cultural psychological level and so i don't think it's very helpful to say oh halloween is all like worship of the devil and it's all weak i mean catholics always are always looking for how are there ways that we can we can embrace this. We can we can value we can stress the value of this. And of course, Halloween without All Saints Day and All Souls Day becomes a little bit hollow, maybe Halloween. <laughs> um because it's it's it needs to be like our fear of death is always uh always encounters 
uh, our, our faith in God's eternal love and his salvation. And so there's always this message of hope that is addressed to the people that are often like me, like you and me, who are sometimes very afraid of dead and maybe whatever could rob us from that eternal life. And, and so, but I would say use Halloween as an opportunity to evangelize it, to tell people about, well, hey, there's more to Halloween than, than just the ghost stories and the creepy stuff and the candy. Let's not forget about the candy. So important. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I just want to say thank you to Reagan Smith in uh, in the YouTube chat room who just uh, gave me a super chat. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And also asked, hey, Father Roderick, I think it would be interesting if you would... Uh, watch and react to Attack on Titan. It deals with uh, with just war theory and has also Eucharistic symbolism. It is actually on my list. Um, thanks to Crunchyroll, I can now watch it, finally. Um, I've heard very good things about it. I actually watched part of the first season and liked it a lot. I was ve- It's a very intriguing anime series. And it's absolutely going to end up in, uh, in, in my TikTok videos and probably also on my Story Secrets uh, podcast. So, But thank you so much for your interest and for your support. Let's talk about books. Um, and let's stay in the vibe of Halloween. I was, today I was like, I, I want to read a book because I'm still a little bit behind on my reading list. Um, and I, I wanted to read at least four books. Um, so that's what I did. I read a couple of smaller uh, novels. And then today I read the first book, I think it's the first book, by Stephen King, of course, the master of, of scary stories, Carrie. And I knew that Carrie had already been turned into a, a, a movie twice. Um, and, and it was a very famous book, and I assumed it was a very scary story, very horrific. And so I was like, okay, I normally don't really care that much for horror, because, I don't know, I'm a hobbit. I, I like the simple life, and I don't like scary ring wraiths and stuff like that. But, oh well, I was like, it's Halloween. Let's just try to push my boundaries a little bit, and I'm just going to read this, this book. That's what I did today. And I was actually quite intrigued, because it's, it was so different from what I expected. I thought it was, this would be one of those um, poltergeist... No, not poltergeist, but... Uh, uh, the exorcist type of stories where I thought Carrie was probably just a, a girl uh, under the influence of Satan and what, I, I don't know. It just looked very scary. And the glimpses that I saw of the movies also looked very gruesome. So I imagined something extremely scary and, uh, and instead it, it was actually, it was not that scary. It, it was an interesting story almost with, um, a very pertinent message where Carrie is this girl who has been raised by a, a religious fanatic, fanatical mother. Um, and, and the way that, that, that Stephen King describes it is it's just like, oh my goodness, oh, 
Oh, what a terrible youth. What a, what a complete distortion of faith that that mother held on to. And it's, it's so destructive. It shows that this book is a good example of how destructive a distorted uh, religion can be. And so this girl grows up super unhappy, and, and, but she has psycho, psych, psychokinetic power, so she can move objects with her mind in, in some very like crisis moments. And, but then she's also the target of her peers in school, and she's bullied, and, and that's where I thought the book was has almost a timeless message about you know, how destructive bullying can be and how cruel kids can be towards one another and just reminded me of a lot of the bullying that I suffered as a child. And so it made me actually empathize quite a bit with Carrie. Uh, I was like, oh my gosh, the poor girl, what everything she went through. And then when finally, of course, I won't spoil exactly how the story ends, but when finally Carrie unleashes her powers, I was like, yeah, that's what you get <laughs> when you torture girls like that. When they're, they're, I, And I totally did not expect that to happen, that I actually had quite a bit of empathy, not sympathy, because what she does is pretty terrible, but you can at least understand where that comes from. And, and, and so it wasn't demonic or satanic or anything. It was more like a, almost like a supernatural psychological study of, of uh, what, is, what is the really scary evil in the book Carrie? It's not the supernatural stuff. It's the bullying. It's the cruelty and the madness of so many people. And that was actually quite realistic, the way it's described, and that makes it scary. The scary thing is this this still happens. Maybe not with the supernatural stuff, but 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 a lot of the cruelty and ugh, just the ugliness of, of people, it never ceases to amaze me. It is time to step into the kitchen, and that's what I did this afternoon. Now that I've got my energy back and my health back, um, I wanted to make some comfort food. And I just read this article on USA Today uh, about grilled cheese sandwiches. And it was basically a list of all the, the, the different types of grilled cheese sandwiches that you can make and how to make them. And it even... Uh, uh, talked about one of my favorite food-related movies, which is Chef, with uh, John Favreau, or John Favreau, I should say. So it's now the big guy that, you know, without him, we wouldn't have The Mandalorian. So he he and, and Dave Filoni are, I think, right now the heart of Star Wars. But before he was hired to do all that Star Wars stuff, he was a very accomplished director, uh, he did Iron Man, of course. Uh, I think John Favreau um, has um, been a major Im- influence on the MCU. But he also directed his own movies, one of which is a movie that he stars in. It's called Chef. And in that movie, he makes a grilled cheese sandwich. There's much more to that movie. Go watch it. It's, it's a delightful movie. Um, but that one scene in which he makes his grilled cheese sandwich is like it's just one of those moments where my my 
like I was salivating. It looked so good. And I was getting so hungry. It was so incredibly well filmed. And so um, I was looking at, uh, at, at the article. And so this afternoon, I was like, okay, it's time for, for grilled cheese sandwich. I don't care if it's healthy. You know what? There are days where you just have to forget about all the healthy stuff. I normally really, really monitor what I eat and make sure it's balanced. And I try to challenge myself and, and cook new recipes and use lots of veggies, etc. But now I was like, I just want a very unhealthy, salty, melty cheese sandwich. And that's what I did. And I used one of the tips in the article, which was to actually make it in the air fryer. I've, I've mentioned this before. But the air fryer is such an amazing device for grilled cheese sandwiches because it circulates the air, so it gets really crispy on all sides, provided that you add cheese in the middle, of course, but then what you do to make it really crunchy is to butter the outside of the sandwiches. So first, the grilled cheese sandwich actually stems from i think the 1930s or something like that is a relatively new thing and it used to be just what we do a lot here in the netherlands uh it's just a sandwich cheese on top and you let that melt in the oven but at one point people were also eating that on on the go and that's why they added the second piece of uh of bread on top of that and and the old-fashioned way of doing that is in a pan that's how the movie chef shows it Put some butter in the pan and then you, you you melt the whole thing. The problem is with if you make a grilled sandwich in the pan, um, depending on the type of bread that you use, sometimes the, the cheese takes a long time to melt. And it takes a lot of time to actually, because you don't want to do that on a, a like too hot fire because if, if the pan is too hot, the outside of the sandwich will burn, whereas the inside has not melted yet. It's, I think it's a very challenging thing to, uh, to make a, 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 a nice, crunchy grilled cheese sandwich in a pan. In the air fryer, it is a piece of cake. And then the ultimate tip that I tried out today, and I can tell you it works, is not just to butter the outside of the sandwich, but to add mayonnaise. So a thin layer of mayonnaise. You can even add a bit of Dijon mustard, like, but mayonnaise itself is, of course a mixture of egg and oil, right? And a bit of salt and maybe some vinegar, depending on the, the brand. But that none of that will burn. So I just added a very thin layer of mayonnaise on both sides, put some, some Gouda cheese in the middle. Um, I, I like to use a bit older cheese that is already a bit saltier, a bit tastier. And then you put that in the air fryer, you put it on 10 minutes, uh, 200 degrees Celsius, and, and here is the important thing. Halfway, you have to turn the thing. So it gets, and then it gets evenly brown. Maybe uh, 10 minutes, it could be too long. I just like check it every once in a while. And then it gets so beautifully golden brown. And then you eat it. At least I always eat it with soup. This is the perfect Sunday lunch. It's a grilled cheese sandwich. I don't even use that much cheese. Just a few slices, uh, like normally in, in in the U.S. you get like like half an inch of cheese, but uh, I just want that cheesy taste. But it doesn't have to be like this blubbery, fatty thing. Um, and then you just dip it in, preferably tomato soup. Oh, tomato soup and grilled cheese sandwich. 
Now I'm hungry. Oh my gosh. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. There's one more thing I wanted to say about cheese, and I forgot about it. Um, like, I have... Um, <laughs> my my the pinky of my right hand still hurts because something happened two weeks ago i was making um, a pasta and i remembered that i had some old pecorino which is uh, uh, sheep's cheese in the fridge i was like oh i forgot about that and it was already a bit dried out so it's a bit harder and it's already a pretty hard cheese I was like, I'm just going to grate the pecorino on top of my pasta. And so I used that new grater that I bought at Ikea and I grate it. And then it was a little bit hard. Well, I, it's Halloween. So, well, like part of my pinky ended up on top of my pasta. It is It was bleeding so badly. It was, oh my gosh, it was gushing blood. And so I, I immediately kind of sprayed it with this, like I've got, so, so that it, it wouldn't, it would stop the bleeding, put a bandage on it, and it just kept hurting. It was throbbing for days. And so now, two weeks later, the wound is almost healed, but I can tell that actually part of that skin has just kind of made up something that wasn't there before. So I think that actually I took I took out part of my pinky. Um, and thankfully, the body is resilient. So I think it's going to be okay. But man, so what? I will... I, I, <laughs> I, I get the chills even talking about it. So what? I don't want to throw the pecorino cheese away. Although I felt like I need to punish this cheese for doing this to me. But of course I did it to myself. So now what I do is I have this small food processor and I put the pecorino in there and I just turn it on. And oh my gosh, it, it creates the best grated cheese ever. How did I not know this? This is how the Italians make their, you know, like pecorino or, or parmigiano stuff that you get in the, in the in the restaurants they're not grading that by hand they're just putting it in a small food processor i just didn't know that i could use my food processor for that anyway now stop thinking about that bleeding pinky cuz yuck all right um technology ipad os 16 is finally here that took forever they announced it at the wwdc in what was it may and then they just kept, like, they did all these beta versions. I just can't remember that in the past it took so long for something they had announced and teased for it to finally hit the our devices, the updates. Especially, I was looking especially forward to the whole um, stage manager that they had announced, uh, which would enable you to do... So some kind of multitasking and, and maybe having like windows that you could just resize like on a desktop. And the first things that we heard when they were in beta was that this didn't work that well. And they had a lot, it was very buggy. 
Plus, they also said, yeah, this is not coming to older um, iPads. This is only going to be for M1 uh, iPads, which is like th the last two years of iPads, which would leave so many other iPad users um, without that functionality. And, and when they were teasing it, when they were showing it off, they said nothing about you know, that you would need a, a very new iPad. So, like, people were so mad. Like, come on, you cannot do this. Like, tease something and then take it away from us just because you didn't think it through during your presentation. And so they actually probably used a lot of the extra time to make it also work on slightly older iPads, like mine. I've got a 12.6 iPad, which is, I think, from 2019? something like that. It's super fast. I love this thing. I use it all the time. And yeah, it's not an M1 processor, but it's the processor right before the M1, which is very similar to the M1. Well, thankfully, they were able to make it work, kind of, but I'm still a bit disappointed. It is not a desktop experience. It is a bit finicky. It's weird. And I wonder if it really adds much to the they already had the thing where you could split up the screen of your ipad in like two windows and that worked reasonably well so i don't really see I, I, sometimes it will show you an app in a smaller window if you, you have to turn it on by the way it's not turned on uh, automatically but if you turn it on it will open an app in uh like for instance i don't know uh the, the name an app uh, uh, Discord. It will open Discord, not just full screen, but it will open it in a slightly more boxier uh, window. But then, and then you can also add another app, but you cannot really put it where you want. You cannot resize those windows very well. It just stays in the middle. It, 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 it's got this kind of rubber banding going on. It's like, what's the point of this? There is one advantage, though, that I want to mention, and that is, for me, it's, it's probably not intended to be a feature, but for me, I love it. It's like I, I have this add-on keyboard on, on the iPad. I used to have a Logitech, a very heavy keyboard with mechanical switches, which was really great, but also very heavy and made the whole thing bulkier than my iPad Air. And then uh, I picked up uh, one of those very slim ones that is actually uh, Apple, and it was on sale for 60 bucks or something like that. I got that, and I love that one. It's water resistant. It's super lightweight. Uh, it's it's great. Um, and but the thing is, I always use the iPad. Therefore, if I'm working on it um, in in horizontal position, uh, but there are a number of apps that don't work that well in horizontal position, and. Uh, so, for instance, I've got Storytel, which is kind of my audiobook app. And in that, that app, you have to say, oh, I want to always use this in horizontal mode. Um, but it doesn't switch automatically to vertical if you turn the iPad around. But the thing is, I use the iPad usually in horizontal mode during the day. But then when I go to bed and I want to read a little bit, I have the iPad, of course, in vertical mode. Because the, the, the Kindle app and um, I used to read comics, you know, the Marvel Unlimited app, they, they read best when you're holding the thing in, in portrait mode. 
But then a lot of those apps would not resize very well. Or if they did, you would have that big full screen thing. But if I'm in bed and I got some pillows in my back and I'm reading this thing, the thing with these full screen e-readers like the Kindle is like the half, the, the, the lowest paragraph would disappear in my, in my, uh, how do you say that? The, 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 the uh, the bed linen, how do you say that? So I, it was very, so I had to hold it up, which it's a heavy device because if I wanted to read the whole page, um, I, I couldn't just rest it on my chest, right? So this is where stage manager actually does something really cool because it resizes, even those like finicky apps, it does actually rotate them. And so for instance, now I can use the Storytel app, which also has ebook functionality. It makes it in the square thing, which floats in the middle of the portrait mode. And it's so comfortable to read because I can just put the, the, uh, the, the iPad on top of the bed sheets and I could just focus on the middle part of the screen. And it's so, it's revolutionary for reading. It's amazing. It's even better than the Kindle, because I've got the nice Kindle, uh, uh, the one with the physical button, the Kindle, not Discovery, whatever. It's called the one that John Domic gifted me. Um, and that one is super lightweight. I love it. Um, so I can read that, but it's small. It's very small. Whereas the iPad is so big that I can easily read it without glasses, which is very nice, especially if I fall asleep <laughs> while reading. I won't have all of a sudden those glasses sticking into my in my face. Anyway, uh, so that's okay. Now, um, Mac OS, Ventura is also there. That's also an, an, an upgrade that took forever. Um, and uh, it's, it's okay, but as usual, I don't really see much of a difference. There are few things that have changed. I think a lot of the the, the added advantage of macOS Ventura is if you use it in conjunction with the iPhone, especially, and I'm looking forward to that, you can now use an iPhone, or at least a recent model, as a webcam uh, with continuity camera. And uh, as soon as I finally got my hands on an I, I, iPhone 14 Pro Max, Apple has to do something about those names. But as long as soon as I've got my new iPhone, that's definitely something I'm going to use quite a bit because the built-in um, a camera on my uh, on my MacBook Air is just 720p. It's okay. They do a lot of software wizardry, so it looks still pretty good, even better than my expensive Logitech webcam. But of course. The iPhone is so much better, especially if you can use the whole like wide-angle stuff and the, uh, the the blurry background functionality, all that. So, yeah, maybe in the future I can I can use it instead of using the the Canon M50 that I'm currently using to stream. We'll see. I'll keep you uh, informed. And then, of course, in other technology news, we've got the big changes, almost like tectonic plates things happening around both Twitter and Meta. Twitter is now taken over by Elon Musk, and I have to say I'm very wary. This is a very unpredictable guy. Um, I still think he did it kind of... 
without really thinking it through. That's probably why he tried to get out of the deal. But now that he's bought it, I was like, what is he going to do? I think he's so underestimating how difficult it is to make this work. The whole moderation thing, you cannot automate that. He just thinks, oh, I'll just use the people that work on like automatic driving and I'll tell them, hey, just fix, do, give me some robot technology that will do all the moderation. That's, that's not going to happen. Making cars is not the same as running a social media network. I'm worried about the future of Twitter. I'm worried about what's going to happen if it, Twitter is already such a problematic platform when it comes to, you know, the distortion of truth, fake news and all that and manipulation. We've seen that already happening without Elon Musk being involved now that he is on the case. I, I have a bad feeling about this. However, of course, as with everything, it's just a social media platform. If it doesn't work, ultimately people will go elsewhere. We'll just have to wait for another platform to take over that functionality. And I, I think Elon Musk is really underestimating um, the, the the ins and outs of what he's doing. And yeah, I I I don't believe his what he says. Like, oh, I'm in it for the free speech, the progress of humanity, blah 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 de blah. Sure. <laughs> Elon Musk is in it for the money and he's got a pretty big ego. So, yeah. Uh, Meta, kind of a weird situation as well. They lost so much money because they're, they, of course, their model is also money. They need to sell ads and they've been able to be so successful because they controlled the apps that we use. Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, it's all meta. And because they had so much, um, so many profiles, the, 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 it was insane how much they knew about us. That is why their advertising business was so popular. And then Apple changed the rules. And they said, hey, you can actually opt out. And now meta is suffering the consequences because all of a sudden their profiles are much less accurate because they don't know everything about us anymore. I've actually started to notice that in my own timelines, where I get these weird suggested posts where it's like, seriously, do you really think I want to see this post, or did I even care for this? No, come on. And this is definitely different from in the past, and I think it's because I mostly use my iPad for Facebook now and for, for meta apps. And so it's not tracking me anymore and so it just starts to do these random things these random guesses i can understand why they're losing a ton of money and then of course the only way for them to get back to that position of dominance on the advertisement market is to own the next big thing the next big platform and for mark zuckerberg it's always been the metaverse so this vr world you know ready player one stuff and and, and that's what he's been developing and he's been throwing just money at it, and and he's been developing the the, the all these headsets, and and you know, I initially applauded that. It's like finally this is going to go mainstream because if Zuckerberg thinks this is going to be mainstream, then he will make sure it, it gets mainstream. However, it, things are changing. Technology is evolving less uh, fast than I had predicted, um, and but also the software side 
Meta is an advertising selling company, and they're not. They're they're not a VR company. They yes, they bought up a lot of of other little companies and enterprises and stuff, and then brought these people in to create the metaverse. But now that we know that even their own people don't use the metaverse, what is going to happen next? And then of course the the uh, the biggest threat for for Mark Zuckerberg is Tim Cook is Apple because they are going to launch their AR VR glasses next year. And you can bet that, that it's going to be the same thing as with the iPhone. There were already a lot of good mobile phones, but then Apple came along and was like, okay, we've been watching this from afar. We've been developing this and we've been perfecting it, just like they did with the Apple Watch. You know, it was like, there are lots of smartwatches, but there's only one Apple Watch. They always bring it to the next level. That's what they're undoubtedly going to do also for VR, AR. And with their established user base... Hmm. And I think that they're thinking in a different direction. They don't want to create this virtual world where you're just basically closing yourself off from the real world. I think that the Apple thing is much more going to be like, okay, we're just going to give you this new way of looking at the world. We'll enhance the world that you already live in instead of replacing it completely. Maybe every once in a while for a video game, but, but in general, I think Apple is all about making your world making giving you tools to better live in or to enhance your life in the world that you live in whereas Zuckerberg is like as long as everybody is in our little virtual bubble we can give them any advertisement and they won't be able to escape from it it's a very shallow view I think and I think Apple is probably going to be much more visionary about this we'll see the proof is in the pudding um, but I'm, I'm eager to see what will happen next year. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of yet another episode of The Break. I'm so glad that I was able to get this out of you, uh, out to you at the, at the very last moment of the week. I'm still maintaining my streak since the beginning of this year, bringing you a new show every single week. That, that's what I owe to my patrons. It's one of the reasons why some of them support me. And I want to stay true to that. But, uh, yeah, if you're sick, <laughs> there's not much you can do. So, anyway, I want to end with uh, an inspirational thought. And this is the one. Before you pray, believe. Before you speak, listen. Before you spend, earn. Before you write, think. Before you quit, try. Before you die, live. Thanks for the privilege of your time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And we'll talk soon. God bless.